0: What's up, you crazy bastards? Welcome to eCrime Bites. This is where I research the court documentation and roast a criminal, so you don't have to. So this week, this is season three, episode two. This is an epic, epic Florida gang's Rico tax fraud. Alright, and I say epic because there's nine individuals that are alive that were involved with this. And there was an individual that's dead that was involved with this. So 10 people total. And the dates were between December of 2015 and March of 2019 that this whole crime occurred. So the crime here, we have a bunch. We have RICO conspiracy, which is a racketeering, like a organized crime charge. We have conspiracy to commit wire fraud. We have aggravated ID theft. We have all these crimes coming together. And when you add up the total of what this gang tried to make, it was $45 million over four years. Now, the IRS said that they definitely lost $7 million. So there's a lot of money at stake here. So anywhere from $7 million up to $45 million, depending on how you look at this. So the victims in this case, there's a ton. There's over 9,000 people, actual people that are identity victims here. There's multiple corporations that become a victim because in, their computer networks are intruded upon. They become a victim because data is stolen from them, but they become a victim because then this crew uses them to file tax returns through them. It's It's mind-blowing. You got to stick around. So that's a whole class of victims. And then there's the IRS, United States, all of us that live in the United States, you know, we're victims because, you know, money's stolen from the United States. The technology here, compromise accounts. So here, the criminals buy compromised accounts where basically they can be on the desktop of a computer inside one of these victim companies. And these victim companies are... CPA firms or accounting firms or firms that create tax returns for customers. That's the type of corporations that we're talking about here. Another thing we're going to be talking about are tax banking products. And we've talked about this in other episodes where it's a specialized bank accounts that tax preparers are allowed to have because sometimes they hold the money for a customer so it's not really their money but it's also coming from the government and it'll make a little more sense later on when i describe a little bit of the background here so i picked this case because it's huge it's huge there's a lot of people involved there's 10 people and there's a lot of money involved there's many millions of dollars and you're gonna see that this is one particular case I can't give you chronologically in order because we'd be here for a week. There's so many things that they do. There's so many people, there's so many events and it goes over four years. I just can't give you a play by play. So this is one of the first episodes that I'm going to give you where I'm going to talk about the people behind the crimes in this act today. And that's act number one, the individuals. I'm going to give you a flavor of what they did and I'm going to go through all their names. And then tomorrow in act two, I'm going to go through all the corporations that are involved. And then I'm going to talk about what happened when everybody was caught, when all the shit went down, what happened? So that's how I'm going to present this episode to you. And I know it's a little bit different, but I think it'll go a little better because I got confused trying to do it chronologically. And I know I couldn't explain it to you well enough so you could go, oh, and understand it chronologically. So in this method, this is what I'm trying for this episode. So I hope you stick with me. So with that, let's start act one, the individuals. Now, before we do that, I got to give you some background here. So tax preparers, they need some things to do their job. One thing is called an EFIN number and this you get from the government. It's called an electronic filing identification number. So let's start a fictitious scenario. Keith Jones, I have a tax preparation service. Keith Jones, tax preparation service, Inc. Okay. I need an EFIN number in order to file tax returns for all my customers. And I need this anytime as an individual, I file anything more than more than 10 returns. They consider that bulk and you need an EFIN number. So basically any tax preparer. So another thing you need. So that usually covers a corporation that would cover the Keith Jones tax preparer, Inc. scenario. Keith Jones would work inside there, okay? So I would need my own type of preparer number, and this is called a PTIN, P-T-I-N, preparer tax ID number. Now, you can imagine a corporation will have an EFIN, and then a preparer inside that corporation will have a PTIN. These numbers are going to be a little more important later on. Tax preparers, they can buy products now, once they have these numbers, now there's something out there called Drake Software and there's Tax Slayer. This allows tax preparers to have a method to electronically submit their customers' tax returns. So basically, you can imagine if in my fictitious scenario, if I'm doing tax preparation services, I would have customers come to me, I would do their tax return. And then I would go to my Drake software, Tax Slayer software, and then submit that on behalf of the customer. Now, that's part of the process. Let me talk about the other part of the process. Imagine the government gets it. They process it back and they're like, hey, this guy gets a thousand dollar check. Right. So there is this thing called a refund transfer. That's a technical term for it, refund transfer. And I'm not I'm going to try not to use that phrase because it just sounds weird. But this process what this hap- what happens here is banks will give tax preparers special privileges they'll give them these temporary accounts where the preparers can store a customer's tax return refund where it gets deposited but it would be minus any of the preparers fees so we can imagine in my scenario if i did your tax return and you get a thousand dollars maybe my the cost of me doing it was fifty dollars So what would happen is it would go to the government. The government would say, Hey, this guy gets a thousand dollars. It would come back to me, the preparer. I would subtract my $50 and you would get $950 through this temporary account that I'm describing right now to you. How would you get that money? Well, there's three different main methods here. One is this temporary account can direct deposit to some account you give me. That's probably the most popular method, right? was a prepaid debit card, so as a preparer, I can make a physical card that I give you and it would have that $950 on it. You could go to ATMs and take money out. Or it's a debit card, so you could actually probably use it at a store, too. Or if you're old-fashioned, print a check. So I could just print a check out of that temporary account and you get the money that way. All this stuff is important because this is, this process here, this special treatment that taxpayers get, this is what the criminal enterprise exploited. Now I'm gonna switch gears a little bit on you. Imagine, imagine you're a bad guy and you want access into a CPA firm like this crew I'm talking about. They wanted access into CPA firms. Now, from what I read in the documentation, they didn't have personnel to go out there and run exploits and gain a foothold in the network and do all the reconnaissance and all that kind of stuff it takes to get a compromised server with with somebody's personally identifiable information on it. They wanted to an easy button, right? They wanted to press a button and go, "I have access." And there's a way to do this on the dark web. There's marketplaces. Per- pretty much everything you can buy drugs you can buy hitmen you can buy anything we've we've covered this in our prior episodes you can go buy compromised accounts to your favorite company if if one exists so let's say the keith jones tax preparer service let's say that company wanted to target me they would go looking on these forums and now i'm just going to call it generically the marketplace because in the court documentation they didn't tell us where it was they just said the marketplace maybe that's actually the name i don't know but they just kept saying the marketplace that's what i'm going to be saying here and i kind of just mean it generically um, so this is on the dark web this is not something you go to on your day-to-day web browser this is something you have to download the special tor browser and go on a different network to access this crew used this marketplace generically to buy accounts, compromised accounts in the CPA firms. Okay. Let me repeat that. They didn't break in themselves. They went and bought the access from this marketplace. So they just had easy button for them and they just had access to compromised servers in the CPA firm. So think about that for a minute. If you had access unauthorized into a CPA firm, you didn't work there imagine the data you had in, in your hands. It would be pretty close to a law firm because you had all the financial information about all the customers there. It would be unbelievable. And that's what they had here. So they could steal personally identifiable information of the CPA firm's customers. So not only is the CPA firm a victim, but the CPA firm's customers are now a victim. This is why I'm saying this is this crime is huge. So I'm trying to bring you the names that they use on these marketplaces and emails, cause I kind of find them interesting and I hope you do too. So the first person I'm going to talk about in this case, let me, let me back up. Okay. I try to pronounce everybody's name as correct as I can the first time. And throughout, I, I try to be very respectful criminals and otherwise. I know that the name Keith Jones is very easy to pronounce. So I try my darndest please leave me some leeway in this episode because all these names sound french I, I i'm gonna try my best to pronounce them i know i know up front i'm gonna murder them i know if i'm gonna murder them but do know i'm not doing this on purpose i'm trying my best our first individual jeff jordan propf Francisque. i probably murdered that one so i'm gonna put a picture of him on your screen right now jeff he purchased compromised server credentials and stole PII from those servers. So that fictitious fictitious example of the Keith Jones tax preparer service that I told you about, they would break into a company like that and then they would steal the PII that I would have on my customers. That's what happened here. That's what Jeff did. His marketplace name was Money baby 954, which I thought was kind of cool, and uh, please, please, that's his formal one. His less formal one is just money baby. If you want to, if you want to refer to him with that account, so he had two accounts: money baby 954 and just money baby. Now his email associated with this was let's and s. There's two s's in there, so it's let's go go dlst at yahoo.com now i try to look at these things and make a little sense of them i don't understand why he wrote that it's i see the let's go go but i don't know what the dlst stands for so hey if you know what it is put a comment on this video because i'm curious all right so jeff was caught later on when they do the investigation he once paid four thousand five hundred and twenty seven dollars for stolen server credentials i'm telling you this money because keep this in mind i told you some of the crime numbers i said 45 million dollars right so we're talking about millions of dollars of crime and to get it it was only thousands of dollars per stolen server it's about a thousand dollars when i looked at just average of what they were saying in the court paperwork it's about a thousand dollars per server that they bought that was compromised So he was one of the people directly in the mix here. The next person, this is a Louis, Louis Noel Michelle. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Now, Louis, he purchased Compromise account from the marketplace as well. His username, not as interesting. It was just mill underscore life 1804 or mill underscore life 18044. Now, Louis paid at least $23,000 for 27 compromised servers. That's where I start to get that number of about $1,000 per server. You see, in some instances, they'd say they they spent more per server. And then you see like this, where it's 23,000 for 27 servers. So that's about a thousand per server. Now, Lewis's emails here. BossBG, 1804, which I thought maybe that was boss big. Oh, all these are at Gmail, by the way. So it's BossBG1804 is one of them. DRBG1804. I think that stands for Dr. Big. I don't know. The third one is BossHB1804. So obviously 1804 means something. (sighs) Maybe it's a date. I don't know. That's my guess. If If you have a guess, put a comment on this video. I'm curious what your guess is. So... Um, Lewis, he helped operate businesses that were involved in this crime. And I haven't talked a lot about the businesses yet because that's the whole focus of my next topic area of this episode. So do know, I'm going to talk about these businesses in a minute. Somebody had to set them up and operate them. Michelle, one of those people. (sighs) This, this blows my mind. Okay. So imagine, imagine for a moment, you're a, you're an assassin and you murder for a living, right? And then you have co-conspirators that also help you murder for a living. Do you go on your email and show a bloody murder picture to your friend and go, Hey, look at this fucker I just murdered. Oh my God. Totally took his head off. That's kind of what happened here digitally in this case, because Michelle, he was caught sending emails with photos with tax return info on it and these intrusion connections, these remote desktop protocol or intrusion into these CPA firms that I told you about at the, earlier on, they had photos and they were sending it to each other over email. So they just did the digital equivalent of what I said of sending pictures of my assassinations over email. It's unbelievable. This is not the first and only time it happened either. Stick around. You're going to hear more of this that, that happens in this case. So another mind-blowing thing. Imagine you're a criminal doing all this. You would probably not want it traced back to your phone or email or your residence or anything to do with you. Well, Lewis attached his real phone number as a recovery phone number on the fraudulent emails he used in this criminal spree. Let me say that again, a different way. He used his real phone number as the identifying information on his fraudulent accounts for the crime. Yeah, he also, so I'm going to bring you most of the crime. I'd say like 90% plus of the crime involves either breaking into businesses and using their ability to file taxes or setting up other companies that can file taxes and siphoning off money into accounts that this enterprise owns. There's a little bit of a ripple in that at some point they kind of did these self-prepared tax returns. So there's like the side crime kind of going on, it was a smaller, but it was the self-prepared tax returns pile of crime. And you'll hear me say that a couple of times because there's a couple of individuals that did this where it looked like they took victim data and then just made it look like the victim filed it on on behalf of the victim themselves, which was different than all the other crime that they did. Lewis also pulled money out of these prepaid debit cards for these tax preparation services that they had the fraudulent money on. And I have a chart for this later on. I don't want to show you now because I, there's another individual tied to this as well. And I'll show you then, but I have a chart of some of the ATM withdrawals and it's anywhere from about $2,000 up to about $7,000. It's a lot. I didn't want to bring in this chart like three times (laughs) in this episode. So stick around and I'll bring it again um, on one of these other individuals that I talked about. So the next individual, I don't have a picture for. I tried. I looked as many mugshots as I could find. This is Alan Jean Lewis, and I don't have a picture, but I will tell you about him. He used the marketplace to purchase credentials of compromised servers to these CPA firms. His marketplace account (sighs) was, quote unquote, shit, gotta stop, which is probably my favorite one out of this whole episode. Shit. Gotta stop. He once paid $1,120 for server credentials for a CPA firm. So that's, again, where I start to get that $1,000 per compromised account. And that just seemed like the going rate that this crew paid for servers. He had his Marketplace account linked to an email called WickedHive at iCloud.com. And he was also seen sending the stolen personally identifiable information from the CPA firm's customers to other conspirators over email. So, again, it's like those murder pictures that I told you about earlier, but just in the digital sense. And Alan also involved with the self-prepared fraudulent return scheme. Now, Andy Jr. Jackass. So I put a picture of Andy on for you he kind of had his hand in almost everything from what i could read he set up and operated all these businesses that i'll bring you later and again don't don't concentrate on the businesses i don't it, the business names don't they don't matter they had to set up a bunch of them to sort of spread out their crime and make it look like normal activity so there's a bunch of business names that i'm going to throw only once at you later on somebody had to set these up somebody had to manage them somebody had to keep the books straight and you know the emails and all that kind of stuff right andy was one of those people that had their hand in that pot andy also used victim pii or personally identifiable information to register these tax preparer efins and p too so you can imagine as a victim having your refund stolen because these fuckers all came together and you became a victim, and they filed something fraudulently on behalf and they got the money for it. Imagine being that victim, but then imagine going further and the government going, Hey, um, your information's used as the preparer information, too. That would just be horrible because you'd have to clear your name of that as well. So when the government did an investigation, they did find that Andy took out some money. He had his hands on the money that was made from this enterprise. There was at least $19,000 that they could trace directly to him. And so the next person, Vladimir Shrelis. Now, Vladimir, Vladimir purchased compromised account information, and I saw that he spent at least $6,455 on said data, or said access information, or said, access to this, these victims. He emailed himself himself. So not even like I needed to tell somebody, but himself screenshots of the victim networks over RDP, which only could mean he was accessing these victims as a criminal. He took pictures and sent them to himself. So that would be the equivalent of me murdering somebody and taking pictures of it and sending it to myself. Just, unbelievable in the digital sense his marketplace usernames included kids 754 million now i don't want to judge i mean this guy looks like a stand-up guy if you look at his picture but the word kids shows up in his online marketplace so immediately to me that feels creepy feels incredibly creepy i try to put a little sense to emails and and handles and things to try to, I think, well, if I'm a person, what would, what would that mean to me here? I couldn't make sense of it. His email address also couldn't make much sense of it. It was VOMY78. So when I looked at his name, Vladimir Shireles, I thought maybe VOMY had something to do with Vladimir. I don't know. 78, maybe that was the year he was born. I don't know. That was my guess. If you have a guess, feel free to tag it in the comment here. So, Vladimir, he was involved with helping operate businesses that use the scheme. So, again, these businesses, they needed people to set them up. Businesses, they can't set themselves up. Vladimir was one of them. And then they need operation. They need maintenance. They need people to answer emails and stuff like that. When the IRS says, hey, I need more information from you, Vladimir was a person that would do that type of thing. Vladimir was also caught with at least $27,000 worth of ATM withdrawals. And I know this because now I'm going to show you that chart that I promised you. And this is the chart that they showed in the court paperwork when they were talking about sentencing and stuff later on. And you can see on the fifth column over, they talk about the conspirator on the ATM for the withdrawals of the deposit amounts on the third column on the left hand side there. And you can see it somewhere range from $2,000 up to seven, almost $8,000. So it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. It's not your $200 I'm going to the bar withdrawal at the ATM. It's thousands of dollars. I didn't even know you could get this much out of an ATM. Okay, so the next conspirator, Dickinson Elon. And I can't tell you much about Dickinson because Dickinson went to trial and the documents weren't as easy to grab as um, the other ones that basically said I did it. So um, I could tell from the information in the documents that I could pull that Dickinson was involved with setting up and operating all these businesses that we talked about throughout here, and that I'm going to name later on. So just keep that in mind. Dickinson's kind of one of those people that I have some vague information on, but not a ton. Now, Monica Chantal Jenkins is another one of the, I would say, top people in this crew. She had her hand in a little bit of everything. She collected stolen PII and filed false tax returns. Now, you can imagine when these filed false tax returns come into the IRS and all these other places. If you've watched any of these episodes that I've done, you've learned this thing called IP addresses. And it's this computerized numerical address that gets stuck on your phone or your computer. And what it does is it lets other computers on the Internet know where you are and how to get data to you. But as humans, we can trace those back to individuals. So in this case, law enforcement got the IP address off these fraudulent returns. They went through the court paperwork and did the process. And it traced back to a residence belonging to Monica Chantel Jenkins. So there's some pretty serious evidence in this case. Monica also collected refunds. So actual, you know, the money that came from those ATMs that I just talked about previously. Monica had a bunch of email addresses. Now, some of them had nothing to do with her. So go girl, at least, you know, you were trying to make it not look like you, like frankpresto13 at yahoo.com. She stuck with yahoo.com. I'm not going to say that every time. So all these are yahoo.com. So there's frankpresto13. But then there's my personal favorite, which is miss Jenkins 007. (laughs) <laughs> so, Miss Jenkins like her name, but 007 like James Bond. So I thought that was the coolest one. And then you have I don't know how to pronounce this. It's like Sha Lewis Dorr, S H A L O U I S D O R. And then you have Terry Dot Bouton. And then you have Joy Partridge 42. So these are all names I imagine she used to try not to look like Monica Chantal Jenkins, other than her real Miss Jenkins 007. In her email, again, just like everybody else, she had these emails of murder scenes. well, in the digital sense, murder scenes of what they did because they had stolen PII in it. They had active RDP, these remote desktop intrusion sessions. They had pictures of it in their email and they had fraudulent returns in their email. So all evidence that prosecutors probably got really excited to see in their email. Now, here's a footnote in the court paperwork I wanted to bring you because it could be missed very easily. And this is one of those things I dig out in the research. They knew, they knew the IRS was investigating these types of crimes that they're committing because Jenkins in December of 2016 emailed this other person that I'll bring you in a second called Rich Forever. Again, I'll explain why in a second. A screenshot of an IRS announcement about a quote-unquote New wave of attacks that allow identity thieves to file fraudulent tax returns by remotely taking over practitioners' computers. Then Rich Forever took that email or that announcement and forwarded it to Shirellis, one of the other co-conspirators. So they knew that the IRS knew what type of crimes they were doing because this this phrase Describes exactly the crime that they're committing. So they're kind of sharing this going, hey, look at this. Uh, they're uh, they're investigating stuff like us. So our next individual is My- Michael Gene Poi. Poi spelled P-O-I-X. Now, Michael, he looks pissed in his mugshot here. He helps set up and operate businesses used throughout the scheme. Again, don't worry about the company names. They don't matter in this. There's a bunch of them. He helped manage and set all those up. He reportedly had a long personal relationship with Jenkins. Now, I don't know if that meant she and he were together or if that meant he and she were just partners in crime. But I do know that in 2012, which was about five years before this crime started, Jenkins and Poi, they were—they committed tax fraud together. They were caught. So they were already caught once doing this. Our next individual, I have to apologize. I'm going to murder this name. Lewiscent JOLTEUS. G-O-L-T-E-U-S. That's what I'm going with. He helped operate the businesses, and I'll give you the names here in a minute. I know you're going to want to hear them, but, again, it, they don't really matter. There's, like, 10 or so. Lewison also obtained these things that they needed to operate a business as a tax preparer, as a fraudulent one, like the PTINs, the EFINS, etc. Lewis also did some of the withdrawals and the disbursement of the funds back to the crew. So you can imagine that he's probably the main person that takes the bulk of the funds and goes, okay, well, Keith gets 10% and Bobby gets 4% and Monica gets such and such percent. And that was, that sounded like his job in the crew. That's all the people that are alive. There's one person that's dead. We don't know his name. We know his moniker, which is rich forever Four Four Three One. That's what he used on the marketplace Since he died, he was unnamed. He was active in the marketplace with that name. And you're just going to hear me talk about him kind of throughout. So that's it. That's the end of act one. That's all the individuals. And that's kind of a lay of the land of what they did. I'm going to bring you all the companies and what they did in act two, which is called the companies tomorrow. But don't leave me yet. Don't leave me. Because I need you to hit like. I need you to hit subscribe. I need you to thumbs up. I need you to follow. Whatever it is that's positive on your application that you're watching me on. That helps me out a lot. If you could share this with friends that like True Crime Podcasts. Especially ones that don't take life seriously and try to joke a little bit. Oh, that's me. Please reshare. Please reshare to your friends. That would help me out so much. That's the only thing I ask of you. With that, I hope you come back tomorrow and you join me for act two of this episode and act two is called the companies and I'm going to go through all these companies you're not going to need to know what their names are but I'm going to give you a a little bit of a flavor of what each of them did and I'm going to outline the crime and then I'm going to tell you what happens once the law catches up with them and what kind of punishment they get so hope to see you back tomorrow thanks bye